Well, um, we've got some pretty good stuff going for you today. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to be talking about Psalm 27. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get it and turn to Psalm 27. That's where we're going to be today. Um, I think it's important that before we uh, get started that we go ahead and pray and ask God to be with us uh, during our time today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, so much for the privilege to be in your house this morning. And Father, we love you and we hope, Lord, that through our worship this morning that you have been honored and blessed. And God, I pray that you would be with us as we read your word, that you would speak to us through it. God, that we would hear what you would have us hear. I pray that you would use me as a mouthpiece and that we would learn something new from your word today, God. We thank you for it. We thank you so much, God, for your word and for its instruction. And so, Lord, we just ask that you be with us this morning. Forgive us for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, today we're talking on Psalm 27. So as you can see in your little handout, it's got some notes you can take, and it's got some questions we're going to be filling in. Uh, the title of this is Trusting God in Fear. And so each week as we're going through the Psalm series, you'll notice uh, that each week it's trusting God in something. And so we've had a couple of weeks building up to this, three or four, where we're trusting God through different things. And Psalm 27 is trusting God through fear. So I figured what better way to open us up than a personal story about fear, a time when I've experienced fear in my life. I think uh, everybody here knows what I'm talking about. Everybody's experienced fear in some form or fashion in their lives. And so um, that can be different. Uh, there are different types of fear. Um, sometimes there's the kind of afraid stuff, and then there's the big afraid stuff. I don't know about you, but um, being in South Arkansas, I know I'm not the only one that's been in my closet praying when a tornado is coming, right? So there's all kinds of different fears. There's different levels of fear. And so um, what we're going to talk about this morning, though, the story I want to tell you is uh, one when I was in college, uh, I had a friend that owned a muffler shop in Spring Hill, Louisiana. And my wife and I currently work at the hospital there. Um, so I've worked in Spring Hill for a while now. Uh, but anyway, he owned a muffler shop in Spring Hill, Louisiana. And so I worked for him. Uh, he would weld the mufflers and do all of that. And I kind of helped work the cash register and just kind of keep the place clean and, and that kind of thing. I was in college at the time, like I said. And so uh, we stayed pretty busy. It was during the summer. It was hot. It was nasty. Um, but one of the things that I got to do, uh, lucky me, when we weren't busy was that I got to wash and wax and detail his motorcycles and his jet boat because of course he didn't want me just hanging out. You know, he was paying me, so I had to stay busy. And uh, it sounds like this guy had a lot of money, but he really didn't. I don't know how he got motorcycles in a jet boat, but he had them. And so, uh, but he had this really cool jet boat. This thing was bright yellow. I mean, it was just chromed out everything. It was a sharp boat. And so he would go to the lake just about every weekend with this thing. And so he would bring it by and he'd have it at the muffler shop and I would wash it and get it ready for the lake that weekend and always kind of doing that. And so one day I just, I was out there washing his boat and I got to thinking about it. And I was like, you know, I wash this boat like once a week and I've never been riding in it. You know, I don't get to take advantage and enjoy any of this. You know, I'm not the one out on the lake in this brand new, like, you know, shiny boat. He's getting to enjoy it while I'm the one cleaning it. So I just kind of popped off and I was like, so when are you going to take me riding in this boat? And he's like, oh, you want to go ride in the jet boat? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, let's go right now. It's like, all right. So I jump in the truck and, you know, off we go. And I'm excited. I'm like a kid at Christmas. I'm going to go ride in a jet boat. I've never done this before. So we're going down the road 
And I just, it kind of dawns on me. I start thinking and I'm like, where are we going? We're in Spring Hill, Louisiana. Where are we going to go ride in a jet boat? And so I asked him, like, hey, where are we going, by the way? He's like, oh, we're going to the lake. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. What lake? Lake Erlen. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Jet boat on Lake Erlen. That sounds like a suicide mission, you know? And I'm like, what was I thinking? So, I mean, this guy normally goes to, like, Greason and all that on the weekends. But so anyway, we get there, and we're launching the boat and everything, and I'm just, I'm getting really nervous because... Anybody that's ever been to Lake Erland knows it's not exactly a very good uh, skiing destination. You know, it's a little rough. A lot of stumps, a lot of trees, a lot of alligators, things like that. And so I'm like, oh, this is not the best place to test this out. But uh, we went ahead and did it. And so we get in the boat, we're in the water, and I'm really nervous. I'm getting really afraid, uh, but I'm going to go on and do it. You know, I, I kind of, I'm the one that bit off more than I could chew. I, I got myself into this situation. But um, so we're getting in the boat. I had a big uh, Route 44 Sonic drink, um, and I had it, it was like a cherry limeade, and I had that thing with me. And we get in the boat, and this isn't like the boats I've been in where there's cup holders and you know you're there to hang out like on a party barge. This is a jet boat. The only thing in this thing, other than a seat, is handles to hang on to. And so I look, and I'm like, okay. So I take my my drink and I put it down on the floor, and I put it between my feet, and I'm hanging on to it there. You know, I'm like, surely it'll kind of stay safe down there. And I grab a hold of the handles. And when he punches that thing, I flew back in the seat of this boat. My feet did this, and the drink explodes everywhere. So we're flying across Lake Erland between stumps, and I've got like a cherry stuck to my forehead, and I'm just wind flying everywhere, you know. And I think, I was telling Kyle, I think half my face was smiles, and the other half was just total fright over here. I mean, I was scared to death because we were flying. And we would get going and he would turn around and it's like turning on a dime in that thing. But it was way faster than I was comfortable with. So uh, through that though, I had a blast. It was very scary and very sketchy, but we got through it alive, obviously. And um, so that was a time in my life when I had what I can honestly tell you was genuine fear. I was afraid for my life that day. And so um, Looking at Psalm 27, uh, we're going to be looking at how to trust God through fear. Now, like I said, the fear I had that day is not the same kind of fear you have. You see a child chasing a ball into a busy street. There, there's different types of fear in life, but I can tell you that I was very afraid that day. What got me through that, though, was once we got on that lake and we got in that boat, I knew this was a very sketchy situation. I was afraid, but... I put my confidence in this friend of mine that was driving the boat. I knew he knew how to drive that boat. I knew he knew that lake. I knew he grew up on that lake. I put all of my confidence in him and in his ability. See, what I didn't tell you was that one of the reasons he had this jet boat was because he raced jet boats. So not only does he know how to drive this boat and know how to, he's a good boatsman and all that stuff, but he knows how to race these things. This guy's good. This isn't his first rodeo. He probably didn't do half of what he was capable of doing out there with me that day because he could see the fear on my face. But I put all of my confidence, all of my stock in his ability to drive that boat well and to know that lake. And so that's what got me over that fear to the point that I was able to go ahead and go through with this, that and just sheer stupidity. But, but I put a lot of confidence in him and what he was capable of that day. And so what we see here in Psalm 27 is not much different. We see David, who is admitting fear, but putting his confidence not in himself, but in the Lord. And so we're going to take a look at this um, from a practical perspective. Uh, when we 
Uh, in our normal day-to-day -day life, when we encounter fear, when we're afraid, when we're unsure, what is the one thing that we know we need to do? The answer is in the title of your bulletin today. We know we need to trust God through our fear. But it's really easy to just be dismissive and say, hey, when you're afraid, just trust God. Just give it to God. You know, it's easy to say that. That's almost like a cop-out. Like, that's great, but how do I do that? What's some practical ways to get me to that place where I am trusting the Lord in this and not just saying it because it sounds cliche? So what I want to do today, we're going to read Psalm 27 and kind of break it down into a couple of different things that are practical ways to help us get to the place where we can truly trust God in fear. All right, so let's read Psalm 27. It's a, a little bit lengthy, as Patricia said. I'm hoping that you won't fall asleep before I get done with it, but I'm going to just jump through it really quick. I think it's worth reading it. We're going to break it all down here in just a second. So Psalm 27 it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence." I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. It's such a good psalm. And as we saw earlier, uh, when they sang Psalm 27, uh, it's such a beautiful song, too. I can't imagine uh, how this sounded when David sang it, but I really like that version that we sang. And such good words. It's just, it's a beautiful psalm. So what I want to do, we're going to kind of break this down. Let's look at some practical ways that we can trust God through fear. So verses 1 through 3, the first part of your notes is going to be confidence in God. That's the first point in your notes, confidence in God. So we see with David right here in verses 1 through 3, the very first thing that he starts out saying is, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David doesn't say anything about himself. David's not putting his confidence in his ability. He's giving all credit, all confidence to God. He's saying it's the Lord who is my light and my salvation. It's not about David. Now we all know 
the story of David, some of the various stories of David throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. We know that David was a guy, if anybody were going to brag and be arrogant, it could have been David. Uh, when it comes to especially being up against enemies and being afraid. We know that David, when he was a shepherd, fought lions and bears with his bare hands. We know that he fought Goliath and killed Goliath. We know he was successful in war and battle. David, you know, we were told was a handsome, rugged guy. I mean, this guy standing in a room full of men would have made us all jealous. I mean, he was a man's man. This guy had every reason to be confident and not be afraid. But he tells us even back then, even in those old stories when he was young, that when he was delivered from the lion and the bear, it was because of the Lord that delivered him. It wasn't himself. He's tell, he gives credit to God for delivering him from Goliath. He actually says, you know, he doesn't say anything about himself doing this. He has all confidence going into this, but then he says, because the Lord will deliver me. So David's confidence, even back then, but especially here in the beginning of Psalm 27, we see his confidence is in God. It's not in himself. So we see that in those first three verses. Um, now, one thing that, that I like noting here is that he gives credit to God right off the bat and then goes into uh, verses 2 and 3, giving examples of how he will be confident in God, even though he's up against enemies. Um, he does not start with verse 3 and verses 2 and then leave God at the tail end of that. He doesn't write verses 2 and 3 and leave verse 1 out. David could have easily said, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, they're going to stumble and fall. Though an army comes against me, my heart won't fear. Though war rise against me, I'll be confident. He could have easily just said that and let that be it. And no one would have really questioned that because they know who David is. But he says in the very beginning before he ever says anything else is that the Lord is my light, salvation, and stronghold. So I want to look at that too. Three ways he described God in this and expressing confidence in the Lord. Light, salvation, and stronghold. So just really quickly, light. We know that light in the midst of darkness is hope. When darkness is all around, that light, just the smallest amount of light, the smallest flame can pierce that darkness. So God is that light to him. He is our help. Uh, salvation, my salvation, we know, um, like we just mentioned, that um, God had literally saved David multiple times from bears, lions, Goliath. And then we know God is our salvation in a different way. Um, God is my stronghold. Uh, another translation for that is refuge. So God is literally where we go for safety. God protects us. God keeps us. He's our keeper. So those three descriptions of God right there that David gives show that we can have every confidence in who he is, in his character. And that's where we place our confidence, not in ourselves. The second part of your notes, the second way, a second practical step that we can trust God through fear is worship of God. Worship of God. We see this in verses 4 through 6. I think it's important to note that before the worship of God can happen, that first part had to happen. We had to see the confidence in God and see God's character before the worship could happen. David notes who God is to him in verses 1 through 3, and then in verses 4 through 6 we see, and we're going to look at uh, an attitude of worship from David, because when we see who God is and how great He is and how small we are, and how we are not able on our own to handle these fears, these situations that life throws at us, but we know God is good enough to do it, 
That's what leads us to a spirit of worship. That's where true worship happens. It's not only realizing how great God is, but how small we are in light of that. And that places proper importance and significance on the Lord. And that's when we can truly come to Him and worship. So David says in verse 4, One thing that I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Another translation for that word, inquire, is to meditate or to worship. So David is saying to God, the one thing that I ask of you, the one thing that I want is to dwell in your house all the days of my life and worship you and seek after you. David didn't ask for confidence. He didn't ask for strength. He didn't ask, and you know, David, um, and I'm not really sure when this was written. I would have to go back and do a little bit more research on whether this was written as David was already king or if this was written before then. I'm not real sure, but we all know that David, as king, you know, had everything he could ever want. But he doesn't ask God for more power, for more confidence, strength, any of that. He says, the one thing I want from you, God, is more of you. That's all I want. I just want to be with you forever. He could have easily misplaced that, but he didn't. He seeks after God. That's the one thing he wants. David had what is known as a penitent posture. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit. I've talked to, to a couple of guys about this lately. That word penitent just keeps popping up. Um, penitent is just a word that means humble, uh, to kneel before the Lord. And so David had this penitent posture toward God that I'm going to worship at your feet because of your mightiness, not my own. He knew that God would protect him and take care of him. We see in verses 4 through 6, he uses the word house, temple, shelter, and tent. So David wanted to be with the Lord in his presence, in his house, because he knew that's where he was safe. We all knew growing up when we were kids that home where mom and dad were in that house, we knew we were safe there. We knew that mom and dad were going to take care of us. And so David shows here that he just wants to be in the Lord's house. He knows, he knows he's safe there. He knows that the presence of the Lord is there, and that's what he wants. This is a spirit of worship. How many of us can honestly say, if you had, we'll just say, use the word wish. If you had one wish, if you could ask God for one thing and you know he would do it, how many of us in this room would say, the one thing I want is to live in this church, in your house, the rest of the days of my life and just worship you every day. That's all I want. I doubt many of us would take that request before the Lord, but that's what David is saying is, I just want more of you. That's all I want. I don't want anything else. And then we see in verse 6 toward the end, he says, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So David's saying, I will worship you, God. I, I want to be with you the rest of my days. I'll worship you. I'll shout for joy. So we see David has placed his confidence in God, not himself. He has a spirit of worship to God. And now the third part of your notes is going to be that we have prayer to God. So have confidence in God, worship of God, and prayer to God. And we're going to see this in verses 7 through 12. Starting in verse 7, David's language changes. Instead of talking about the Lord and His characteristics and His attributes and worshiping the Lord, we see that he, His language changes and He speaks directly to the Lord, starting in verse 7. 
In verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. So he's talking straight to God now, not just about him. So this is a prayer from David. Now this is a prayer for continued grace, but it is also a very anxious prayer. If you'll read, and as we're going to look and see, the language and the attitude in this prayer were one of, of anxious. Uh, David wanted to see these things happen. There was a sense of urgency in this prayer because he hasn't seen this prayer answered yet. So as he's praying this to the Lord, there's a sense of urgency behind it. There's a sense of anxiousness behind it. But it is a prayer for continued grace that he's already experienced. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. And so we saw that word seek back in verse 4 where he says, The one thing I ask and the one thing I seek is to dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. We see that again here. And he's saying, you have told me to seek your face. Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm seeking your face, God. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm seeking after you. So we've seen that two times now, that David is chasing after God. He wants more of God. In this prayer, David also asks the Lord not to forsake him. He expresses uh, down at the verse 10, it says, for my mother and father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, according to some of the commentary and study notes on this, we're not, we're not real sure that that had actually happened, that his parents had actually forsaken him, but he was trying to emphasize a point, that when everyone else abandons me, when everyone else forsakes me, you will be with me, God. And so he's asking God, not only, I want to seek your face, I want more of you, I want to worship you. I want to dwell in your house all the days of my life. But then he's also asking, don't forsake me. Don't leave me. Please don't go. All he wants is that relationship with the Lord. And he's begging God for this in this prayer. It is a prayer for continued grace that God would not forsake him, that he would stay with him, that he would continue to bless him. David knows that without God, he will stumble and fall. He expresses in verse 12, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. David knows that when he has people against him, that without God's blessing, without seeking after the Lord and the presence of God, he will stumble and fall. He's a very smart man in knowing this. What we see, too, I think is pretty interesting. Uh, it says in verse 11, lead me on a level path. We saw this before, actually in Psalm 26. In verse 12 of Psalm 26, it says, my foot stands on level ground. So Kyle and I were kind of in my sermon prep getting ready for this. We're discussing that idea of asking God to keep your feet on level ground. We all know that when you're on rocky or uneven ground, it's easy to lose your footing and stumble and fall. So if you get the idea of having adversaries all around you on all sides, and you're on uneven ground or rocky ground, you stumble and fall, you fall right to your adversaries. He's asking God, keep my feet on level ground, on a steady path. Help me walk in the straight and narrow way. He's seeking after the Lord here. So this is a prayer from David's heart that he would not only seek God and worship God and that God would not forsake him, but bless him and stay with him. So that type of prayer, 
I want to emphasize is one that you can trust God to answer because you are asking for and seeking after what God has instructed you to seek after. He says right there in verse 8, you have said to seek my face, so your face do I seek. David's praying for things that God has told him to pray for and to seek after. This is important to note because this affects the way we pray. When we pray, just like I said earlier when I used the word wish, we don't pray to God as if he's the genie from Aladdin. We don't come to God with things we want, saying, God, I would really like that jet boat and that motorcycle. and a new... that's, not what God... that's not how prayer works. We come to God and we bear our heart to him. He already knows what we're thinking and what we're feeling. So we talk to God and we let it all out. We let him know how we feel. He's just like the father he is. He wants to hear his children and what's on our hearts. But it's important to know that we can take confidence that when we pray according to God's will and what God wants, that he's faithful to answer those prayers. We see in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. I'll read this to you really quick. It says this, This is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So if we're praying according to God's will, asking for things that God wants, we can be confident that He's going to be faithful to answer those prayers. Contrast to that, what we don't want to do is come to God asking for selfish things. James 4.3 tells us this, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So here we see again, like I said in the very beginning, David doesn't come to God and say, God, make me powerful. Make me so powerful that my enemies can't stand against me. He could have easily done that and then said, well, if you do that, then I can just say, well, God gave me this power. He didn't come to God and say, God, just wipe out my enemies for me. He came to God and he said, God, I just want more of you. If I have that, everything else is fine. So our prayer to God when we pray should be one similar to this, that we're seeking after God's will and what God wants, and it should also be one with a penitent posture just like David's. The fourth part of your notes, the fourth practical way to trust God through fear is going to be faith in God. Faith in God. We see this in verses 13 and 14. After David's anxious prayer for continued grace in verses 7 through 12, he ends that prayer, and in verse 13, we see that he goes from talking to God to talking about God again. So his prayer has ended, and he says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, another one of the commentaries on this says that another way to read that in the land of the living is here on earth. So what David is saying is that I believe, I'm confident that I will see God answer these prayers here on earth while I'm living. I know he's going to be good to do this. I know God's faithful. I can trust that he is going to answer this prayer. I think that anytime we go to God in prayer with a genuine heart, seeking after his will, we have to be confident that God is going to be faithful to answer that prayer. 
We have to believe in God's goodness. We can't come to God and pray things and not think that He's ever going to answer it and have no faith in Him while we're praying those things. Why would He ever, you know, I mean, now, don't hear me wrong in this. I'm not saying that it all depends on us and our attitude and our amount of faith, and that, that's not it at all. God works despite us, but we have to be confident in God's faithfulness to us. And we've seen that all throughout Scripture, and we see it even now. God has been faithful to His people over and over and over again. You see it through the Old Testament with the Israelites. Of course, you see it in the best example ever of Him sending His Son, Jesus, to die for us. God has been faithful to His people forever, and so He will continue to do so. We look at God's character again, just like we did in the beginning to find confidence in Him. We can look at His character and see that faithfulness. Psalm 9.10 tells us this, Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Likewise, Deuteronomy 7.9 tells us, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him, and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. So we know that God's faithful to His people, and we can have that confidence. So that's how we can boldly approach the throne of God as we sing in the song so many times, is that we know God's faithful to us. We also can see that not only can we trust God to be faithful to us, but this should also kind of comes full circle. This helps inspire that confidence again, that not only can I trust that God's going to be faithful to me, but I've already seen His character, His goodness, His strength. I've established my confidence in Him, knowing who He is, and now knowing that He's for me and He's going to be faithful to me gives me an attitude that we see in Romans 8.31 that tells us if God's for us, who can be against us? That's the kind of attitude we can have. And just like David did in the beginning of this, whom shall I fear? That's where that comes from. It's not an arrogance. It's not a cockiness. It's a confidence in God's character and the fact that we know that God is for us and will be faithful to deliver us. That's where that comes from. So I want to kind of wrap this up in this way. Uh, Shane, go ahead and come on up and we will um, get ready to close. As always, you guys are going to get out super early today if I'm preaching. You know how that goes. <laughs> And my story that I told you in the very beginning about my um, scary boat ride on the lake, um, what really helped me in that, as I mentioned to you before, was not uh, so much the boat or the lake or anything like that. And, and it was even getting in that situation, I knew that this friend of mine that was driving this boat, I knew he was capable to navigate that boat. I knew he was pretty skillful. Uh, if he raced jet boats, he had to be pretty good. Um, the guy had to have cat-like reflexes to be able to navigate that boat, which is kind of hilarious to think about if you knew who I'm talking about. This guy's a pretty big boy. He's, you see him, you don't think cat-like reflexes, but this guy had the skill that it took to navigate this boat. Now, it would have been completely different if I had looked at him and said, okay, I know he's got what it takes to handle this boat and to get us through this situation, but he doesn't care about me at all. He doesn't care if I live or die. That would have done me no good. If, he, if he's good at what he does, 
but has no regard for me, that does me no good. So in looking at this story and looking at Psalm 27, we can have confidence in not only God's character and who God is, that we know God's good enough to get, get us through any situation. We know He can handle it. But we get a great amount of confidence knowing that that God with that power and that ability is for us, fighting for us, that He cares about us. And see, that's what helped get me through that boat ride was knowing that this guy is my friend. He cares about me. He cares about my well-being. He's not going to hurt me intentionally. So I could not only trust his ability, but I could trust his judgment and try to kind of have a good time and relax knowing that this guy's not going not to do anything to hurt me. We can do the same thing with God. Anytime we're experiencing fear, if we will place our confidence in him, come to him with a worshipful heart, a penitent heart, pray to him and take that before him and then have faith knowing that God's going to be good to take care of us. He's going to be good to guard us. We can go into those situations knowing not only is God able to handle this, but He's for me. He loves me. He's going to help me get through this. The beautiful thing in all of this is that God may never deliver us from a lion or a bear or a giant, but He has delivered us from sin and death through His Son. And so... Anytime we start to think about this story and this psalm or anything that we've gone through in our personal life, it's such a beautiful thing to see how much God loves us and how much He's for us and how far He's willing to go to show us that. And so what I want to do, we're going to take just a second. Uh, Shane's going to lead us in some worship. I want you guys to just spend some time in prayer, uh, spend some time just being with God, just think about any times in your life that you've been fearful or that you've truly needed Him desperately. Think about His faithfulness. And then just think about ways that moving forward from this that we can continue to seek out the Lord through fear, to trust in His character and be confident in Him. You guys go ahead and stand.